Welcome to When Pigs Fly, a podcast that uncovers Cincinnati's rich business history dating back from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to simply prost to future innovation. I'm one of your co-hosts, Allie Martin. And I'm your other co-host, Patrick Bailey. And today we will be talking with Alan Woods. He is a founder and executive director of Mortar, which Mortar aims to create diverse communities by enabling historically marginalized entrepreneurs to access resources and basically help them start and launch a successful business, which is what we're all about here. Yeah, and I'm excited to talk with them because they have seen massive success lately mm-hmm. and have been a huge supporter of you know underrepresented founders in our community. So I'm really excited that we got them on the pod. Yeah, and I think it's really important that we highlight these minority-run businesses and and also the history behind it. So whether we realize this or not, one of the first African-American business districts in Cincinnati was in Walnut Hills. And Mortar also has a location Mm. in Walnut Hills, so there's some symbolism there. And the Lane Theological Seminary, that was owned by Dr. Lyman Beecher, father of Harriet Beecher Stowe. He was the one who began initially leasing plots of land to African Americans in 1840s in Walnut Hills. Wow, that's early. Yeah, so that was kind of the start of that. Mm. And then in addition to that, Lincoln Avenue became a prosperous business district for black families with establishments that included Thatcher Fish and Poultry and Sherman's Flower Shop. So those are just to name a few. So there's some deep-rooted history minority businesses in Walnut Hills, but there are other communities in this area that I think are going to be important to talk about. And that's what Mortar is here for, right? To grow grow and and expand here in Cincinnati and Northern Kentucky. And their focus and support of underrepresented founders Mm -hmm. has been tremendous. As I said, they helped the founder of Esoteric Brewing, which is the first, you know, minority-owned brewery in the city. Yeah. Well, and it actually has significance even in the States, too. Yeah. And so I'm really excited to see where they go. And I'm Mm -hmm. excited to, you know, have this conversation with them. Yeah. And his perspective, too, of being an entrepreneur Mm -hmm. and his experience, I think, is going to be really important for us to touch on. So with that said, let's bring him in. Let's bring him in. Okay. So, Mr. Alan Woods, the founder and executive director of Mortar. Now, right off the bat, I think it would be good to tell people and have you clarify exactly what Mortar is, but then I'd love for us to loop back and get more of your personal journey as to how you started Mortar. So first, what Mortar is, and then how you got into it. Absolutely. So Mortar is an entrepreneurship accelerator. We started here in Cincinnati, Ohio, with the premise is that we want to create an environment for entrepreneurs of color to be able to pursue their dreams and passions Mm. close to home. So ultimately, it started by kind of walking through over the Rhine and realizing that there's a ton of diversity in this neighborhood. And then realizing that once you walk into some of the stores and restaurants and bars, that when you look at the ownership, a lot of that diversity disappeared. And so we wanted to see what we could do to help people who lived in that neighborhood and wanted to be an active part of, you know, creating a more vibrant neighborhood. We wanted to figure out how to do that. Ultimately, that was why we started Mortar. And so when we think about What mortar means in kind of a poetic way, it is literally, when you think of brick and mortar, the mortar is the thing that kind of holds everything together. Mm -hmm. So even if you're doing all of these improvements and you have awesome parks and great restaurants and infrastructure, if you don't have people in the community who care about it and people who've been a part of the story for forever and you remove them from that process then you're you're not going to have the stability that you need. And so for us, mortar kind of represents that people, you know, it represents that element of people that hold everything together. And so we want to make sure that, you know, when we do these accelerators in different communities, we are involving the people who are, you know, really a part of that community. 
So you mentioned you are an accelerator. For our listeners mm-hmm. who do not know what an accelerator is, you are our first accelerator. Can you explain what that is? Absolutely. Um, when you get in the car and you put your foot on the gas, you are accelerating. Um, <laughs> and it's honestly kind of that simple. It is something that gets you somewhere faster. Mm. So it is not, we, we're designed for people who are starting or, or scaling their businesses but ultimately, the people who come to us, they're brilliant. You know, they're super talented. They have these gifts and abilities that they're just trying to figure out how to monetize. But they maybe don't know how to get there as quickly. Mm. So we give them the tools and the training that they need to accelerate the process. So it literally just moves you where you want to be faster by helping you to avoid some of the you know obstacles, pitfalls, potholes that you may hit if you didn't have this training, you know, but ultimately I believe that every person who's come through our program would have eventually got to success, Mm -hmm. but we're really kind of helping to catalyze that and speed it along. You know, like my, my journey, I've been an entrepreneur pretty much my entire life and I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have Mm -hmm. the network that we provide for our entrepreneurs. I didn't have, you know, actual training. So I had to make a ton of mistakes And I think about if I had had a mortar to guide me through this process when I was younger, I definitely would have gotten to where I am today sooner and with, you know, less bumps and bruises. And so I think ultimately that's our plan. What were some of those early business and entrepreneurial adventures that you were taking before you started more? (laughs) Man, I did everything. (laughs) Um, I I always tell the story of like, you know, fresh out of high school, I, I never enjoyed school Mm. beyond like the social components and even some sometimes not even that but (laughs) I was not like a school guy so I wasn't like the guy who's like oh my god I'm graduating from high school let's sign up to do some more school you know so I didn't go straight to college I ended up working in a parking garage because it was like the easiest thing that I could do while I could do other things. So Mm -hmm. I would sit in there and I would be writing and then you just stop when a car pulls up and then, you know, you do your thing. So I'm doing everything else that I want to do on the side. And at one point I started making like mixtapes that I would play in my booth and I was in there grooving, you know, (laughs) and then I would have people come up and say, like, man, what are you listening to? That sounds really cool. And I'd be like, it's a mixtape. Would you like to buy one? So like, I started <laughs> like, you know, you're a DJ. Right. I started slanging mixtapes out of my booth, you know? So I'm making my <laughs> hourly rates, but I'm like, I'm making my own money on the side. I love you that. Know? Parking lot party. <laughs> right. Go. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I just always had this kind of ingenuity to think of, you know, how am I going to get to where I want to be? And, and, what is the thing that I'm passionate about and how can I make some additional money on top of what I'm doing right now? You know, so, but it went back for me even further than that. I mean, I started as a photographer. Oh, I mean, right. I still do photography, but okay. like, you know, ultimately I was a kid with a camera who had parents who were like mad supportive, you know, mm. they, yeah. they wanted to make sure that I could mm, go to the little kids art classes at Heron School of Art on the weekend, you know, in mm-hmm. Indianapolis. I'm from Indianapolis. So, <laughs> you know, I would go to those on the weekend. They talk about photography. Mm. They went and bought me a used camera. They took me to a gallery show where I met Gordon Parks, um, oh, wow. who was the first black photographer for Life Magazine and Vogue Magazine. And he was amazing. And he was there and I got to talk to him. And That's really cool. It was just like, I knew then. I was like, I want to be a photographer. This is super dope to pursue this passion and take basically do storytelling through a camera on display and share these like emotional moments with other people. And like my parents were super supportive. And so ultimately, you know, we have created kind of that same type of legacy through the work that we do at Mortar because we want to be encouraging. We want to help people build a network. We want them to meet the people who are going to become the spark that leads them to really pursue whatever their business ideas are. You know, so I I had that sense of support, but I didn't have that, you know, like my parents weren't entrepreneurs. Like they Mm -hmm. could only give me so much. And so, like I said, there were bumps and bruises along the way and, I ended up here in Cincinnati nine years ago, and, you know, the rest is kind of history. So you brought up, you know, you guys want to be the spark for entrepreneurs. Yeah. 
right? So would you say your parents were that spark or was there someone else in your life that was super entrepreneurial? You said your parents weren't entrepreneurs themselves, but yeah. did someone else like, I guess, just kind of inspire you? You're like, hey, no, I wanted to come I didn't my know thing. anything about entrepreneurship. I didn't know anything about small businesses. Mm. I, didn't, I mean, I didn't know anything about this stuff. I mean, there was a candy lady, you know, uh, <laughs> on the corner across from our church, but like, I didn't think mm. of her as like an entrepreneur. Yeah. I think it was really, it was that encounter with Gordon Parks. You know, it was, mm. it was seeing somebody who was living his life doing the thing he was passionate about and making money doing it. So have you been able to build a business as well around photography while you're also building mortar? I did. I actually used to do a ton of photography back in the day. I used to actually, I worked at a studio for eight years but while I was working at the studio, I also did freelance. So mm-hmm. I did a lot of like model portfolios, weddings. I mean, I took pictures of everything, you know. So I, I have kind of definitely put in my time doing that. That that kind of actually kind of led to Mortar, to be honest. Like doing photography led me to, you know, having these conversations with, you know, people that needed something more. Um, mm. After the photography, they needed more. They needed like graphic design. So I actually did end up going back to school, got my mm. graphic design degree, ultimately to grow my company to add that element of graphic design. Then the next part was that, you know, in having these conversations with people who were needing photography or design, they were always asking other questions about like business and building their brand, which mm-hmm. led me to do a lot more branding, a lot of brand strategy work. And consulting, which then Mm. that ultimately is kind of what I brought to Mortar in Mm -hmm. the beginning is like with having two other co-founders, you know, we all kind of brought something different. And my my part was the branding, marketing, design, you know, social media management, all of that stuff. And that was what I brought to Mortar early on. I mean, now that my other two co-founders have left to start their own separate businesses, Like now I still do those things, but I'm also doing other things. Mm -hmm. Like I'm doing like film work and all kind of like I've directed before. Like it's just, it's just really for me, Mortar has become my dream job in the sense of all of the things that I used to do before I kind of get to Mm. do together in one place and get paid for it. So, yeah. What's interesting is I feel like you bring, you brought the creative element. It sounds like as one of the co-founders. So what were the other co-founders bringing to the table that kind of completed that circle? Absolutely. So Derek was, you know, a trained fundraiser, you know, like he had already worked in nonprofits. He actually started another nonprofit in Indianapolis, which is where I met Derek. Mm. And the first time that we worked together was at Indy. We were both working with entrepreneurs in different capacities. I had done an event that was like a entrepreneurship boot camp, you know, in Indy and Derek was doing events that were like pitch nights where, you know, you charge people $5 to come in, they get a meal and then they take their five, their token. And that $5 goes, you know, all of the cumulative money goes to the winner of the pitch night. And so at the event that I put together, that was the boot camp. I was like, I want to do a pitch night. And I was like, let me call this guy that I met that does pitch nights and just have him come in and just do his pitch night as a part of our event. So, Mm. you know, we don't have to kind of duplicate what somebody else is doing. Mm. And so that was our first time working together. I moved here nine years ago. Derek moved here eight years ago at the prompting of our third co-founder who I didn't know. They went to college together and William, you know, was telling Derek, Hey, there's a lot of energy here in Cincinnati um, and I really think that there's there's something here that's about to happen. So, you know, the two of them got together, had that conversation. And then Derek called me the next day and was like, hey, you know, I know that you do the branding, the marketing, the all of these things like, you know, we need you to come and be a part of this. And William is the only one of the three of us that is the Cincinnati guy. You know, so he is <laughs> ah. the he's the connection. You know, he's like. At some point, you know, if it wasn't required for him to sit down somewhere, he would probably be the mayor of Cincinnati at some point. <laughs> but he is a free spirit. I see him he, everywhere. Yeah, he's like, always yeah. moving. He's got to move around. You I know? love so it. So, like, I can't imagine him sitting behind a desk. You know, he would be like the mayor that wears no shoes or something. Like <laughs> so, but he's just got the connection points. And mm. he was always just, he's just a really likable guy who knows how to talk to people and just kind of, you know, has some really good influence. 
And so, you know, the three of us kind of coming together, you know, we were like this, this machine that really worked well together. And we've learned mm. from each other how to do the other things. Mm. So mm. I think that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, now, you know, now that Derek has his own business, he knows what the branding for Pato Roja should look like, yeah. you know, because he's been around a guy who does branding all the time and he knows how to communicate with people and kind of be that person who can connect and Billy's the same way, you know? Um, and so I think that we've all kind of learned from each other, those other skills, which I think is really important. And that's a value add of the network that we build for our entrepreneurs and internally as an organization is that, we put a lot of different people from different backgrounds together to learn from each other and to share. So we're kind of creating like this potluck of entrepreneurship. So what were the things that you learned from your co-founders? Man, um, (laughs) (laughs) how to ask people for things. I don't like asking for things. Like I could be sitting somewhere and there could be a bottle of water there and my mouth could be super dry and I won't yeah. ask for it. I'll just be You'll like, just look I, at it. I'll just be like, I'll find my own water some other time. You know well, go to the well and pump my own water. <laughs> right. And it's like, why though? You know, yeah. like, why would you do that? There's water As, there. as Patrick's seven. taking a sip of right. water. Right. He's like, yeah, not me. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, and it's like, I, I've always just been a person who is, really reliant on me Mm. and not on other people as, uh, you know, as needed, I guess. And so learning how to ask people for things and to help people understand that we are not asking because this is not going to survive without you. We are asking because we want you to be a partner with us in the work that we're doing Mm. because we're doing something that's really, really cool. And we think that you should be a part of it. So, you know, coming from that framing of asking as well. So I definitely learned that from Derek and from from Billy. A lot of it has just been to not take everything as seriously. I mm. mean, you know, because he's the floater, you know, he that's how he lives his life. And I think that when it's time to be serious, he's serious. But I think that in general, he lives a very carefree lifestyle, you know, and I think that mm. it you know, there's not a reason to stress, you know, about a lot of things. And I think in working in nonprofits, it always feels like, you know, something stressful is happening. Mm. And I think I learned from him how to, you know, kind of take it all in stride. That's interesting then how you all have collaborated. I think that's an ongoing theme that Patrick and I are hearing too with any startup or any business that it's really important that you're alongside people who compliment you mm-hmm. or able to, you know, pick up maybe we're some of the slack here and there, and then you learn together. So with that, right, so you all three come together, you're in Cincinnati. Explain the structure of Mortar and how it works for a young entrepreneur who might be going through the program. Absolutely. So we actually have five pillars of our work. To come up with those five pillars, we kind of identify the different barriers that a lot of entrepreneurs specifically women and people of color face when they're trying to start Mm. their businesses. And this was all kind of based on not even just a Cincinnati context, but as we have expanded it around the country, it's kind of looking at some of the other challenges that people are facing around the country so that we could build a a model that could potentially be national. Before we go into that model, can you kind of elaborate a little bit more on what those specific challenges are that they're facing? Absolutely. So the first one that we identified is just knowing what to do next, Mm. you know, or having kind of a lack of education on specifically how do I run this business? Mm Because there's a lot of people who are super talented, but they don't know how to monetize it. They don't know Mm -hmm. how to make it into an actual business. You know, you can fix cars, but then what? (laughs) Like, I don't know how much to charge. I don't know how I'm supposed to be filing taxes. Like, what what is that supposed to happen? You know, they don't take it out of my check. You know, and it's just like. You You have to do it yourself. Right. Yeah. You have to separate that. You have to do that, you know. And so just helping people with that. Um, The second thing is just kind of having that network Mm. and knowing what to do. Having a mentor. How do I move through this thing? Like, what's next? You know, and do I have a coach? You know, you could be an amazing anything. I mean, we think about LeBron. LeBron James has a coach and it's like, no matter what you feel about LeBron, when he gets on the floor, he's going to do his thing and he's amazing. However, he has a coach, Mm -hmm. 
And that coach is going to offer some guidance for him. Yeah, you know, he has trainers that, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. The next part is physical space. You know, if you're an entrepreneur who needs a brick and mortar, but you're just now starting out, it can be really hard to try to find a space. Like mm-hmm. how in the world are you supposed to get a lease signed when they're asking for all this paperwork that you don't have mm-hmm. because you just don't have receipts, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like literally and figuratively. You just don't have the track record to show that you are capable of doing this. The next thing is capital. You know, when people are starting their business, a lot of times where they go to find the money is oftentimes from friends and family or they're bootstrapping or they are reaching out to other people in their network. And if you're coming from the context that a lot of our entrepreneurs are coming from, the people in your network don't have extra money to give to you to start a business because they're trying to figure out how to get their own extra money. And then there's just, you know, there's systems in play that have prevented people from having access to wealth. I mean, the majority of our participants are black and they're women. Mm. And when you think about the fact that historically, you know, I was talking to my mom about this the other day. She's mm. a real estate agent in Indianapolis. And she was saying, you know, how it wasn't that long ago that women could not buy a house by themselves. Yeah. Wow. You Isn't know, that, that you, you had, had to yeah, have a cosigner. Yep. You had to have a cosigner that was a man to buy a house. What? You know, that's crazy. But then in the same breath, at the same time, Black people were not allowed to buy homes mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. It was legally not a possibility. Mm-hmm. And when they were able to buy homes, you know, the banks weren't favorable. Um, in yeah, the that goes way back to suburbia, they, too, of exactly, splitting up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, or let's run this highway through your neighborhood because yep. we can, you know. And so when you think of how people start businesses, a lot of times they're pulling equity from their homes. But then when we think about how many generations that we can go back and say, hey, this generation of my family owned their home to pull equity from, to give mm. someone seed capital, to get a business started or to buy their home. We don't have a lot of generations that we can go back and say that that was a possibility. And so that's one of the challenges, like creating general wealth. Finding, yeah, exactly. How do we get to that generational wealth and how do we have this capital to get started? And the last piece is just not being in the room. Sometimes you're just not invited to the rooms where the decisions are made or you are not one of the people who's making the decisions yeah. or you just don't have people who are riding for you to make sure that this thing can happen. And so from those five different barriers, we created our five pillars. So the academy is 15 weeks and it helps people to understand how to monetize their business, how to get it started or take it scaling and get it to the next level. The alumni program is 18 months of ongoing leadership, you know, nurturing, networking, guidance, guardrails to help you and kind of have somebody to bounce these ideas off of. We have people who call and, you know, they are either you know, cheering or crying. And it's, we're navigating that whole entire experience with them. And sometimes they don't even have their families in their corner to Mm. do that. So we have often become their families in that process. Through our pop-up shop network, we have been giving people the opportunity to kind of test out their ideas. So we'll sign a lease because we have the track record, we have the infrastructure, we have the relationships. And then once we sign the lease, we'll license it to our entrepreneurs to mm-hmm. let them kind of test out their ideas and see what works. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully in, in a perfect scenario, at the end of the lease, they sign the lease over to the, the entrepreneur because now they understand this person can pay the rent and they have been successful in this business. And then we can kind of move out of the way. So we kind of become, you know, crutches for them in that process. The, the fourth thing, we created this thing called the Iron Chest Fund which has given us the ability to put $279,000 directly into the hands of entrepreneurs in the the form of loans, grants, and equity investments. And then the last thing is advocacy. You know, how do we show up at City Hall when people are having issues with permitting and I can call, you know, city council members and say, how do we fix this? You know, like, what, what can we do to make this process easier? And I can have those conversations that maybe they can't have because they don't know how or they don't know who. And so, you know, that through that five pillared system, we've been able to build mortar. And um, it's something that, you know, we're in the process of taking nationally. We, we're in six neighborhoods in Cincinnati and six cities outside of Cincinnati. And for our listeners, what are those six cities? Yeah. So we are in Covington, Kentucky, right across the bridge. 
We are in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Akron, Ohio. Shout out to LeBron again. <laughs> Someone's <laughs> a know. fan. I picked that I one mean, up. <laughs> and, and I mean, LeBron is an entrepreneur. So like, I mean, he I is. need LeBron to understand that, you know, we're 501c3 out here, you know? So, you know I just hope he doesn't ruin Space Jam. <laughs> Maybe one day he'll hear this podcast. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It will all be famous. Then <laughs> uh, we're also in, um, we just signed for Indianapolis, Indiana. Like I said, that's my hometown. Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is huge for us because Tulsa, this is the hundred year commemoration of the Black Wall Street massacre. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it is kind of celebrating this resurgence of Black entrepreneurship. And, you know, as you mentioned, Ali, like thinking about what is it, what does generational wealth look like? You know, and so for us, that's that's really a huge part of it. And then Kansas City, Missouri. And sustaining that generational wealth. Exactly. So you mentioned Black Wall Street in Tulsa. Did Cincinnati Mm -hmm. ever have a neighborhood like that in our history? So it depends on who you ask, but Walnut Hills was often kind of viewed as one of those neighborhoods Mm. that uh, it was considered the second downtown. It had a lot of Black-owned businesses. It wasn't at the level of a Black Wall Street because at Black Wall Street, there was, you know, there there were hundreds of businesses within this small land, you know, area. And, you know, there were, you could find everything. I mean, your cleaners, your lawyers, yeah. your doctors, your, yeah. you know, We had nurses, a little bit of everything. Every, yes. <laughs> it was literally self-sustaining. And so there were, there were some areas in like Walnut Hills, Avondale that had these pockets that were very similar. And I think that Walnut Hills is kind of one of those places that you're seeing an intentional resurgence in that, you know, Mm -hmm. where, for example, you have just queuing the barbecue space and you have our space that we have there. We actually converted it to an art gallery for February into half of March for Black Mm. History Month into Women's History Month. And we still have that space and we're kind of trying to figure out like what the next phase of it is. But there's just like an intentionality there. You have Esoteric Brewing, Mm -hmm. which is one of our graduates and that's where one of our equity investments is. He he won our very first pitch night. You have uh, the Greenwich, which has been there for forever. You have the Dillard Center that is owned by uh, Dr. Dillard, you know, like it's just a rich heritage of black business that's there. You have Burnett Soul Food, Jazzy Sweeties Bakery. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's just so much that's there, even Parkside, you know, so it's Parkside so much. Listen, listen, (laughs) the bacon, they just do it right every time. (laughs) But, But it's just like, you know, how, how are we intentional in making sure that the neighborhood businesses reflect the population, Mm. Mm -hmm. you know, and it's not saying that every business has to be a black owned business, but how do we carve out spaces and be intentional to make sure that we have black owned businesses if you have a hard, a higher population of black people and the same thing with women. If you have a large population of women, you want some women owned businesses. It's just Mm -hmm. an important part of you know, as as Patrick asked earlier, who did you see? Mm. That's a great question. And like, who are kids looking at? Yep. If they want to ultimately become entrepreneurs, who do they see? Your mentors. Yeah. Who are exactly. the, the heroes in your life that exactly. you look up to? Yes. Exactly. Now kids in Walnut Hills can go yeah. to all of the places we just named and they can see people who not just work at these places, but people who are owners. Mm. That's huge. So then, you know, I don't have to just be a worker at a place. I can be an owner. It's a leading by example, right? Exactly. Um, I kind of wanted to switch gears a little. You mentioned the challenges that are facing, you know, underrepresented founders that you kind of built your five pillars around. What challenges do you face as the support for those businesses? That is a really deep question. I face the challenges that a lot of Black founders still face, where Mm -hmm. there is a thing in the Black community called Black tax, which means that oftentimes you have to do twice as much to get half as far. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is still something that rings to be true, even though people see 
you know, mortar in all of the places. There are still a lot of times when when we go ask for funding, we get funded. We're underfunded. You know, we, we have some of our white counterparts who get funded from the same institutions or organizations and they haven't, you know, done the proof. They, they don't have the proof of concept, you know, but it's just like, oh, like, I love the idea. Let's go. You know, and they tend to get funded at a higher rate. And it's the same thing for white men just in general. When you look at women-owned entities, it's just harder for women to get the capital. And it could be, I mean, we're in a country where a woman sitting next to a man doing the exact same job, possibly better, doesn't get paid the same because she's a woman. So, I mean, that that's still one of the challenges that exist in this community. And, you know, I am not a woman, but we lead by example in how we pay the women. The majority of our staff is women. And that's intentionally because the majority of our participants are women. And I want them to see other people who are making moves and who are, you know, inspirational to them. I want my board to look like that, too. Mm. You know, like. Our board is pretty diverse, but I want more, you know, diversity on our board. I want people to know that this is something that you can, you know, try to accomplish. I think that some one of the other challenges that I have, too, and I, I, I try not to. It's really difficult because I'm trying to search for things that are like, does everything have to be modeled after race? And it's just like, mm-hmm. but there's so many of the challenges, you know, it's just connected to race. And sometimes It's that our mentors that we have don't understand what it looks like to be an advisor and not a boss. You know, Mm -hmm. like sometimes as a black startup who has advisors who are not black, you get advice that comes across as commands. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no way. You're here to advise. Don't tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. Say, you know. If I were in this scenario, here's a couple options that I would have you to consider. Because if I don't choose to do the thing that you're saying you should do this, then you're looked at as, well, you don't you don't take my advice. Mm. And it's like taking instruction. Oh, that's yeah, that's not how advice works. <laughs> like, mm. You know, yeah. and so that's one of the things that people and I think people want to help and they want to be allies and they want to, you know, have this piece of advocacy, but sometimes they don't understand how to do that. And then they also are not, honestly, a lot of people are not familiar with how to work with Black people who are in power because it's not a position that people are used to. It's just something that's different. Yeah, explain that a little bit more. Yeah, so like, you guys tell me, when how many of you have had Black bosses? Oh, that's actually a really good question. I've had coaches, yeah. But those who are actually writing my paycheck. Right. Yeah, that's no. So that is not something that, but if you were to ask any black person that you know, how many, how many of them have had a white boss? They would probably like, all say the numbers all of them are. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so when I think that people are not used to what black authority can look like, you know? And so even in the capacity of, someone who tries to be an advisor or a mentor, they don't understand that ultimately you are still in control of the business. And so even though they're trying to be, you know, an advocate and an ally and advisor, that ultimately you make decisions, they Mm -hmm. still look at it as they have not been in that position where they have seen what black authority can look like. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the challenges that we experience. And it's not something that I've ever really talked about. You know, this is the first time that I've ever said it out loud in a room that is not me and peers Mm -hmm. or, you know, people who look like me, because it's something that people need to understand how to listen and advise and understand that, there is a such thing as Black authority, and it's fine. It doesn't minimize anything to say, you know, this person is in power because they have this fire idea and they founded this company and they're they're moving. they're good at what they do. Right, Mm -hmm. and I want to help. But if I give a suggestion and you don't take it, I don't have to be offended. 
it's it's actually it's really saddening yeah. to hear that, right? But it is a hard reality because it's yeah. it's it's not something that's tangible. Yeah. And yeah. people might not think about it every day. Is the feeling does it come mm-hmm. off as condescending? Like how does it feel? It can it can come off as condescending. It can also come off as in the really strong cases, is like, how dare you not listen to me? Mm. Which is weird because if they're not the owner of the business, like yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> As a relatively young, and I say I use that word loosely because I don't even know if I can use that anymore. Like I just turned forty four, so like, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I can even say relatively young. But I will say forever like, forty four. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right. <laughs> but a lot of times you you will have interactions with older white corporate executives mm. who have been in business for forever. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I don't trust or believe or I'm discounting your experience. Mm-hmm. It's that the way that I want to do my business may be different than mm-hmm. the way that you would do the business. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's some some different cultural competencies there that maybe are at play. And I just might not do it how you are suggesting. And mm-hmm. that's OK. So how do you find yourself maneuvering that space if you are in a meeting like that? How right. have you been going into those situations? I think, honestly, it's it's being real and honest, which is not always accepted. Mm. There's also, there's oftentimes a perception that, you know, as a young Black entrepreneur who is seeking guidance or mentorship, you know, that you should be, I don't know if it's, it's, if it comes across as a lack of humility because you choose not to do what they are suggesting or whatever. But I think honestly, you know, it's, it's just being transparent with people Mm -hmm. and saying, you know what, I appreciate your contribution and your idea. And it's something that I'm going to think about, but Mm -hmm. it might not happen. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't like, don't feel a way, like it's Mm -hmm. not an indictment on your credibility or your brilliance. Yeah. It's just the fact that I chose to go a different direction because I kind of have that ability. There's a, there's room. I think that's the biggest point. It's like there's, there's literally room for everyone yeah, to create yeah. and yeah. have a mic and have a voice. Yeah. And, and that's something that I think everybody has to remember just in general. It's not a zero sum game. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No matter your color, no matter, you know, if, no matter your gender, it's like mm-hmm. if you have a great idea and you have a passion and you're willing to put your time and your energy into it, that's where I just hope that everyone is willing to stop and listen and take mm. the time to understand that story and what you're trying to tell and what you're trying to accomplish and, you know, why we're given two ears and one mouth for a reason, yeah. right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. What kind of industries are you seeing underrepresented founders start? Uh, everywhere, but manufacturing. Really? Mm, that's great. I mean, like, yeah, we're a big, we're a big manufacturing yeah. state too. Yep. But yep. who's building anything? You know, yeah. like nobody who looks like me. Mm. I mean, you got a couple companies like Justin and you have Journey Steel, but there's not a lot of like just like small manufacturing. Mm. You know, when you think and that, of, that's like even engineering said, too, though. Exactly. That's even yeah. diving deeper. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, and like I said, it's, it kind of goes back to the story of Over the Rhine where mm. you see people who work in the industry, but they're not the owners. Like, mm. so how do we, how do we get to the fact where they're the owners? What do you also want to say to the minority community as well? Because to say that, you know, what is your message to them? Whether yeah, they're I, hesitant or whatever yeah. it might be about education to grow that generational wealth or to get into manufacturing or to go into engineering, whatever that might be. Yeah, I appreciate that question because that's, I don't think anybody's ever asked that. I think it's, it's follow your dream. But with the caveat that sometimes your dream is not going to get you to where you want to get to. If your passion is creating gowns, but there's an opportunity to do a lawn care company where you can get a contract with the city and do every piece of city owned land. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, which one are we going to pursue? Like, let's say that it it took opportunity. Exactly. So let's say it takes $10,000 to start either of those Mm. two businesses And you have so many people who would completely avoid the one that's not their calling or their Mm. passion to go for the one 
no like who's going to avoid that you know yeah. they want to do the thing that they love to do which is great but sometimes to get to the place to do where you can do the thing you love to do you have to do the thing that you're not really uh, wanting to do but you can make to, money doing to follow the market that's, basically that's for everyone yeah too. <laughs> my parents like, my, par- my parents told me that <laughs> yeah. i wanted to be a paleontologist when i was younger and they're like oh <laughs> there's like <laughs> you're not gonna be able to make money on that i'm like okay <laughs> yeah so it's not all about money mm-hmm. but let's mm-hmm. say that you start the lawn care company you get these contracts and you just kind of keep it moving and then you got you're able to hire people to run the company mm. and then that's just mailbox money because now you can take that money and go do the thing where you're making the gowns like and it's the best of both worlds so so i, w- I would just tell people to look for the opportunities mm to really flourish and and look for the problems because where there are problems, there are solutions that need to be found. Maybe the problem isn't more cupcakes, you know, like, I don't know that we need more, more people. You I don't know. know if that's a good. I think we need more cupcakes in our life, but like, you know, I think we got enough people making cupcakes that yeah, we can find one that we like. You know, we just might, need. You might be right on that one. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if we need. We might more need more gems if we have so many cupcakes. Yeah. <laughs> that's See, that's you're, about you're searching for the problem that you're solving. So you you get in a relationship where. You put all of your gems right next door to the, the smoothie cupcake shop. place. And, well, see, that's what that's what I've noticed is like there are a ton of smoothie kings really close proximity to gems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you have to know mm-hmm. where to put your business to, you know, because that's important. They say location, location, location. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. So what, then what do you also say? Okay, so find a problem and yeah. then start thinking of a solution. But from mm-hmm. a day-to-day standpoint, what advice can you give to someone who may want to start their own business? Because I think there it is so easy for us to come up with all of these great ideas yeah. and we're going to accomplish and conquer the world and yeah. nothing ever happens. Yeah. And the reason nothing ever happens is because you're waiting for the perfect time. Mm. There is no such thing as the perfect time. Just go do it. Oh, that one hits home real hard. Yeah. It's like, all right, it's never going to be perfect. Mm. But yeah. is it close enough? Mm. You know, is this is this a good enough time to start? You know, I think that ultimately my advice to anybody who is thinking about pursuing entrepreneurship is to go. Mm. And that, that could mean go to the library. It could mean go do some research. <laughs> it could mean... Go ask, you know, people who are not your family, you know, who could potentially be your customers, start surveying them to see if this is an actual problem they have, how they are currently solving Mm. it, and if your solution is something they would pay for. Mm. You know, so I think a lot of times people just go start a business and they don't even know what their target market is. Yeah, you know, like your audience. Yeah, you got Mm -hmm. four people in the world who need the thing that you have. That is not a reason to start a business, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. So how do we do? And and sometimes you have to figure out, it might just be a product that needs to be created. And maybe that product doesn't need a business surrounding it. Maybe you get a patent and you sell it to somebody else and you keep it moving. You know, everything doesn't need a business created around it. That's super interesting. And I guess that goes back to, again, mortar and what, what you're teaching and creating that foundation for these young entrepreneurs who may have an idea. And I'm sure a lot of the times, and and you can elaborate on this if you want, somebody might, how many times does somebody come in with an idea and then you reevaluate it and say, "Mm, how about we adapt it to X, Y, Z? If if that doesn't happen, then we didn't do our jobs. Mm. When you get to us, if you leave 15 weeks later, and it's exactly the same as it was when you got to the door. We did something wrong. So how many people have graduated and gone through the program with Mortar? So we are going into year seven now, and we're at 306 graduates. Is that just just Cincinnati? Just Cincinnati. Yeah, what about just Cincinnati. Do you have numbers for national? So in surrounding areas, I would say go ahead and add about another 100. Um, we haven't done expansion for... We started doing expansion about three years ago, and we're just kind of slowly ramping it up. So we have done three years in Milwaukee. I think we're going into, uh, we're about a year and a half in Akron, about a year in Covington. So, you know, between those cities and then the ones that are coming, I mean, it won't be long that we will be graduating, you know, 500 people a year nationally. 
So it's going to blow our numbers out of the water, you know, in Cincinnati alone, just because we're adding so many cities that are going to be duplicating what we do. So obviously you have programs in other places. What makes Cincinnati mm-hmm. unique, I guess, for especially for underrepresented founders, women and minority yeah. founders? I think what makes Cincinnati unique in a general sense is that Cincinnati still is a very, it's a masterpiece that hasn't been completed mm-hmm. yet. So we don't know what it is, you know, like, it's a beauty like, bit. yeah, Chicago, you know what Chicago is. Mm-hmm. If you ask anybody in America to describe <laughs> Chicago, they can do it. When you said or it, New yeah. York, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Nobody can describe Cincinnati. Mm. If you haven't been here, they're like, I don't know. I think it has two T's. I don't know. <laughs> they're like, how are we spelling it? Yeah, they can't even figure out how to spell it, let alone tell you what's in it. So I, th- I think that that gives us an opportunity to kind of fly below the radar. Mm. And, you know, we, we have an opportunity to really create what we want to see without the parameters that other people have to live by. Mm. You know, mm. we, we get to create what we want Cincinnati to be and nobody can tell us what it has to be. What do you want it to be? I want it to be one of the most equitable cities in America, one of the most artistic cities in America. And one of the most flavorful cities Ooh, in America. I like that. In multiple ways. I mean, like the food, the not fashion, just the everything. Yeah, not just cupcakes. <laughs> um, but like food, fashion, you know, art. Uh, Music. I just think yeah. Cincinnati has the ability to bring some flavor to the Midwest and do some things differently. Mm. What do you think we could do as a city better than? And I think this is a kind of a loaded question, right? Because this could come from an entrepreneurial perspective of Mm -hmm. policy or what are things that are potentially blocking people from success that maybe we don't know about. Because if we're not looking to, if we haven't launched a business ourselves and just, you know, theoretically, what do you hope it is? Yeah, no, I mean, there's, that's a whole different episode. Like we could, yeah. we could go for forever. Yeah. <laughs> but I think, I think what I would like to see people do, and I want to even say differently because I think there are a lot of people who are doing this. I want to see people support without yeah. looking for something in return. Mm. You know, I think it would be amazing to just go into a restaurant or go into a boutique and just really show love to the, the entrepreneur who's running it. You show love you know, with your dollars, people. Whatever you're purch- yeah, do your thing. The you know, micro interactions. The yeah. Purchase the thing, post it on social media, don't expect anything in return. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that changes everything. There's so many people who have access. We have more access to bullhorns every day, you know, through our social media mm-hmm. that if we use this power for good, it can mean that, you know, we really started a whole new campaign of what Cincinnati is and can be and, you know, really amplifying, you know, the people, places and things that we interact with on a daily basis. You know, whether that's your favorite park and there's a lot of them to pick from yeah. or, you know, your creamy whip uh, place, which it's just so <laughs> much that we can do if we use our powers for good you know, and try to figure out how to, uh, I think the other thing we can do is just stop talking down on Cincinnati. I think that sometimes. Oh my gosh, preach. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, like, this, this gets like me going. This gets me going. Yeah. This gets me going because this is, this is not to totally interrupt your thought, but it's getting you me going. Alley. Because, you because, triggered because, Allie. Because whether, being from here, right? I'm I, yeah. originally, originally born on the East Coast, but I grew up here. And there's just something about the mentality that I've learned that people who are born here and, and who grow up here, for some reason, they bash the city. And I'm thinking, yeah. why would you do that? They think they think that it's not like they think that that's the, the self-deprecation thing yeah. that makes it like, well, I, mean, I don't really like it here. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's OK, but, you know, you know, it's just it's just like Have pride on, man, in like, your city that you yeah. live in. Until you leave, and you're going to come back anyway, because everybody does. Yeah. But, <laughs> See, that's, I think that's the that's the overarching thing, is you come back anyway, so stop yeah. bashing it. Exactly. So appreciate it for what it is, and it's not going to be the other things. Like, yeah. be okay with the fact that it's not the other things. Go on vacation to the other places, I and then come it back. You know, do your thing. Love it yeah. for what it is. Yeah. 
Mm. Oh, Love my that. gosh. Sorry, that gets me going. You felt that one. That <laughs> one was that one right there. It goes back to the That's going to be the title of this podcast. <laughs> this, this episode is going to be Love It For What It Is. Love Ooh. It For What It Is. Yes, actually. I think that actually that works really well, especially with everything, right? You love yeah. love the business for what it is. Love yeah. the entrepreneur for who yeah. he or she is. You know, like, yeah. love it's that. It's important. Yeah. It's important. So with that said, we'll kind of wrap it up now because I know we've been we've been going at this for almost an hour now. <laughs> who would you think to close this, if anyone's looking to get involved with mortar, who is a good candidate to potentially look into it? There are a ton of different ways that you can get involved. So I'll kind of give a, a different couple of different profiles. If you're an entrepreneur who's looking to get started, as I mentioned, our primary participants are often black women. That does not mean that this program is only for black women. We have people of all different ethnicities, complexions, everything. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> if you are going to put the work in and you're you're ready to, to learn how to start or scale your business and you're not making cupcakes, please <laughs> put in an application. Um, if you are a seasoned entrepreneur who wants to give back and offer your guidance mm. or advice um, in a mentorship capacity to our entrepreneurs. You know, we actually operate with an organization called SCORE and they do mentorship and training. So we actually are looking for more mentors, specifically women and people of color to be mentors through SCORE because we are cranking out tons of entrepreneurs every year mm. and they can't keep up with us anymore. <laughs> so we are definitely looking for more. It's a great problem. I love that. And lastly, subject matter experts. So if you are someone who specializes in a certain thing, whether it is media training, I don't know who that might be, uh, but <laughs> we should talk after. <laughs> or social media or marketing, or uh, if you're an accountant or, you know, a lawyer, all of those people we have come in as subject matter experts during each cohort because mm-hmm. each week is kind of dedicated to a different portion of running your business. And guess what? When it's time to talk about how to get media placements or how to do an effective pitch or mm-hmm. communicate, mm-hmm. they want to talk to somebody who does it every day and is an effective communicator. And so those subject matter experts are people that we definitely want to involve in that process. Mm-hmm. And for all of those people, they can go to our website. It is wearemortar.com, W-E-A-R-E. M-O-R-T-A-R.com. Just fill out the little form on any of the website pages and just say, hey, I'm interested in blank and we'll get you to the right person. Or if you're in a city that's outside of Cincinnati and you like what you've heard and you're thinking, hey, you know, we want to do something like that here. Go through that same process where you'll fill out the form and say, I'm interested in expansion. Mm. But yeah, I mean, and, and ultimately, if you're someone else who doesn't fit in any of those categories, and you just want to send us a congratulatory tweet, do that. Those yeah. things are encouraging. We need yes. those too. Or if you yes. want to send some congratulatory money, you can do that. <laughs> Actually, that's, I don't want to make this go on too much longer, but I mean, you guys are a nonprofit, which is basically yeah. running a business anyway. How do you yeah. receive funding to make all this happen? Yeah. So a lot of it is from awesome people who find out about us and send us, you know, 10, 20, 30, $500. I mean, like whatever, yeah. I mean, everything is helpful. You know, there's people who's like, well, I mean, it's only $10, but no, it helps. You know, there's also grants that we get, you know, from different corporations or foundations. You know, if anybody has people who are looking for, you know, opportunities to, you know, just kind of invest in the future of Cincinnati. One of the perfect ways to do that is to support entrepreneurs. And the other way we get funding is, you know, we we actually have our own culturally competent curriculum that we license to other cities. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're still entrepreneurs. So we in the process of, you know, being a nonprofit, we're still figuring out ways to make money. We also on our website, we have a shop on our website where you can purchase some of our apparel. Do you have your portfolio company apparel or anything on there? We, we don't, we don't have that, but do you have a list somewhere where we can, maybe we can share with our yeah, listeners? Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually on the website, there's even a list of alumni. Great. Like where you can yes. go through and it's kind of categorized. So okay, definitely um, going to check that out. Definitely. One easy way. 
definitely recommend people checking out the website and going through all of the businesses and the entrepreneurs who have gone through mortar. Mm -hmm. Because if you're from Cincinnati and you're semi in tune with what goes on in the city, you probably don't realize that there's more businesses that have started with mortar than you realize. Yeah, and so it's kind of nice definitely. to put the pieces together Absolutely. in that way. Absolutely. Well, Alan, thank you yes, so much thank for you taking so much. the time with us and, um, you know, chatting with us and giving us some feedback here. Yes, Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you guys for, for having us on I didn't even realize that it was like, I follow you on, on Instagram. I didn't even realize it was the same person. Cause I feel like your profile picture, you had like some long wavy. Hair <laughs> and, uh, yeah. She, I definitely, like, oh, that's her. she went through a quarter life crisis. <laughs> that must so. be on Facebook. Yeah. I chopped my hair off. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. But I, I really appreciate the opportunity to kind of share. And I know that, you know, everything that I gave wasn't all fun and light, but, you know, I think to get to where we're wanting to go, we got to have some real conversations. That's true. That's, that is life though. Right. And I think yeah. that's why we need to be talking about it across all spectrums because it's not always mm -hmm. rainbows and unicorns and yeah. in any, in any aspect of life, whether it's relationships or growing a business, there's going to be ups and downs, but talking about it and getting it out there is just as important. And that's why, I mean, yeah. Allie and I started this podcast. We want yeah. action yeah. to happen from our listeners yeah. of some kind. Yeah. So we're fingers crossed and, you know, we're hoping yeah. to do some in-person events with some of the, you know, the guests on our show. So you'll definitely be invited once we can do that mm -hmm. and then have you guys part. Talk about network. Yeah. Right? And build out like our networking conversation mm -hmm. of what we can do to move the city forward. So that's exciting. I'm there. Just let me know. Sounds great. Yes, 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 yes. Well, we, we'll make again. sure no cupcakes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, come on. No, there will be cupcakes at this event. You can bring cupcakes. Just, you know, make sure they're not from a new person. <laughs> wow, that was great. It was great. And I might want a cupcake now, but... <laughs> it can't be from a new cupcake business. New cupcake to place. <laughs> what? You know, I, I love seeing people who are supportive of other people. Mm. We need more of that. We need more of that. But I think one thing I took away from that entire conversation was that you have to be thoughtful when you're supporting, mm -hmm. right? Whether it is, you know, a small business, like, you know, for free, you could do it on social media, support them, or you can do it with, you know, even louder and, you know, stronger with dollars, right? Um, mm -hmm. Also, like, if you're advising, you know, a startup, you know, how are you talking to the founder? You know, it's not your business. So be mindful mm -hmm. of that when speaking with them. Yeah, that's interesting because that's taking from the consumer side or potentially the investor side, right? Mm -hmm. And I even think thoughtfulness too from the business entrepreneurial side, mm. if you're looking to start something, really be thoughtful about what your business is. Mm -hmm. Are you solving a problem? Yeah. Who are you trying to reach? You know, mm -hmm. where are the pieces? This is, again, I mentioned this earlier, a reoccurring theme that where are the pieces that you might be lacking that you need someone else to come in and potentially help? Mm -hmm. And full circle, that's realistically what makes a nonprofit like Mortar really helpful for young entrepreneurs who may have a great skill or see a problem and they just don't know how to get it started. Yeah, they're being that resource money for the community. They're also being the example, right? They mm -hmm. are, you know, doing something that is not re readily done throughout the city by being an example for underrepresented founders, both women and minority founders. You know, I asked him, you know, who was that for you, that sparker example? Yeah. And he's like, well, like, I mean, not really. It might have just been the, you know, the famous photographer. But, mm -hmm. you know, he, uh, there wasn't a true entrepreneur for him to model himself after. Yeah, it's so important to see. If you have a goal and a vision for yourself, if you don't see somebody in that position now, it's really hard to visualize that. Mm. And and you probably then will put those barriers up and say it's not attainable anymore. Mm. And on the deeper note and on the deeper side of things, it is really important to go back to your thought of thoughtfulness and mm. to stop and listen because sometimes what it seems and versus what it is are two very different things. We can't always see some of those boundaries and those barriers. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's really, really, really important for us to be observant and to listen and mm -hmm. go in with an open mind with the willingness to learn. Exactly. And I love 
that mortar is teaching people to be thoughtful too, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they yeah. are bringing yeah, in yeah. mentors, businesses, investors, and I think they're even teaching just our you know city in general on how to be more thoughtful. And mm-hmm. so I'm really excited to see where they go, especially, you know, they've grown to what, six new locations and yes. Tulsa is their newest oh, know, one, right? which is really cool. I had cool. no idea actually that they had grown into different, into so many new cities. So, which is really cool. And I'm excited to see where they continue to grow. Yeah. And with that said, you know, we mentioned it at the end as well. Check out their website, look through their businesses that and the successful entrepreneurs who have graduated through Mortar. And if there's one or two businesses on there that you're like, hey, can you talk to these business owners? Let us know because we'd love to hear from you. You know, we, we can ask them some questions or if you have something in, in your mind that you'd like us to ask them, holler at us. And uh, we also just like to hear from you in general. So shoot us an email yes, or ping us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Yeah, we love feedback as well. And with that said. What time is it, Alan? I think it's time to prost. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. And here's some necessary legal stuff. Allie Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or other financial interest in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripps company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employ us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation, nor provided any investment or legal advice on this show. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. We also want to give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync.